Hey everyone, it's Montero. Uh, just wanted to let you guys know we had a lot of technical issues this week. So um, the YouTube video is a complete mess and we apologize for that. The audio, uh, the beginning, the first five minutes or so got cut off on the audio podcast version and the very end got cut off too. So uh, hopefully you guys still enjoy this episode uh, ignore the video on YouTube, listen to it here. The first five minutes or so is cut off. The rest of it should be fine. Apologies for the technical issues. We're in the process of moving and everything is chaotic and crazy. So hopefully in the next few weeks, this will start to get sorted out, guys. It's a work in progress. We thank you very much for your support and we apologize for the technical issues. But without further ado, here is TNC 167. we're doing this while you guys know renovating a home and we're already starting to pack so like you can't see because the camera zoomed in but all around me there are boxes and wires it is complete chaos in here so there's a lot of moving parts uh bear with us over the next few weeks into uh into may and june as we get moved into the new crib we're actually moving the first weekend of may and then we'll get things set up there and it will start to flow a little better be a little less chaotic all right so all right News and notes. Um, again, let me remind you guys, if you're just tuning in, this is The Neutral Corner, episode number 167. And uh, this is for Saturday, April 20th, the week of Saturday, April 20th. Uh, new members, my fee. I don't charge a monetary fee for this show. My fee is homework. It is to subscribe here on YouTube, to follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Everything, every handle is Montero Unboxing iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is, find us, follow us, like us, get the word out about this show and this channel. That is your fee for TNC every week. All right. So uh, some crazy kind of news, man. I, I saw this and I kind of laughed and I just thought it was worth mentioning. Don't want to get political, but you guys, you know, the news recently has been talking about this, this B-level actor, Jesse Smollett, who's way more famous now than he ever was on any shows he did before. But he faked a hate crime in Chicago, completely got away with it, cost the taxpayers of Chicago hundreds of thousands of dollars in the, uh, with the Chicago police having to investigate this crime. Turns out he paid two of his friends from Nigeria to jump him uh, outside of a subway. I don't mean subway like the train. I mean subway like the sandwich shop. The sandwich was unharmed, so, you know, that's good. But anyway, one of those guys, uh, Ab Abimbola Osundario, or Abel, his nickname Abel Osundario, just won the Golden Gloves in Chicago this week, or last Friday, actually, the 178-pound division, which is light heavyweight and the amateurs, the senior novice division, he won the Golden Gloves. So, I mean, he picked the right guys to attack him. Obviously, this guy can handle himself. 
just, you know, if you're going for a, a white supremacist guy that's going to be attacking you, you might want to not go Nigeria next time, Jesse. Anyway, so that whole fake hate crime hoax hits the world of boxing. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Wanted to mention that. Okay, well, we'll just go right past the politics. <laughs> Keep it boxing only. Okay, uh, Sergey Kovalev, Anthony Yard. First bid was supposed to happen today for that WBO light heavyweight title fight that's been ordered. Uh, they're, they're supposed to have a purse bid. No news yet. Actually, you know, at the time I'm recording this, I haven't heard anything yet. I'll let you guys know what comes from that. But apparently, uh, Grandpa Bob has said, Bob Arum, who, who has a piece of Sergey Kovalev, main events is his promoter, but he has options on Kovalev because he's fought on ESPN. Uh, he said recently that Yard has agreed to terms for Sergey Kovalev uh, to fight Kovalev in his hometown in Russia, which is where Kovalev wants that fight. So um, maybe it'll happen. And you know what? I don't mind the fight. It's, it's a mandatory fight. It did not belong in the UK, which is where Yard and his people wanted it. They actually think they're the A-side. Talk about delusional. But uh, Kovalev's certainly the A-side there and the champion. I think he gets a 70% split of the purse because he is the titleist. And that goes over to Russia uh, for Grandpa Bob and, and main events, that's easy to put on ESPN Plus because it's going to be over there in Russia. Time-wise, it'll be like what the early morning on the West Coast. Here in the East Coast, it'll probably be early afternoon. But if they put that on ESPN Plus, that works out, and I think that'll be interesting. It's supposed to happen in June. We'll see. You know, at the yard, time to put up or shut up, right? Um, okay. So one other news item here, and this this. Kind of gets political, but some of you guys asked me about it on Twitter. Uh, Deontay Wilder, in a recent interview, was asked about Dominic Brazil. There's bad blood. There was the brawl in that Birmingham hotel lobby between Wilder's entourage and Brazil's family back in 2017, right? So they don't like each other. Apparently, Brazil said something about Wilder's disabled daughter, Wilder, and his crew didn't like that, and so they beat the shit out of... Brazil's family. So I don't know. But, you know, in an interview recently, Wilder said, and I'm, I'm going to quote here. These are actual quotes from him. He was asked about Brazil, what would happen if Brazil got hurt, um, if he died in that fight. And Wilder said, you talk about me killing the guy. If it happens, it happens. And he said, uh, not one bit of remorse. So some of you guys have asked me what I think about th this. You know, um, guys, are we having issues with the video bitrate? Is it choppy? Uh, Tiffany is going to try something right here, and we'll see if that helps the choppiness. I don't know what's going on with the choppiness. Adjust their settings, so I have to adjust when they adjust. Okay. So, um, we're, again, we're figuring this out, guys. I'm sorry for the little pause here, especially you guys listening on, you know, for the audio podcast. But right now, we're... Um, Trying to uh, just figure if the video is choppy, let us know in the comments. If the audio is off, let us know in the comments. We'll fix it as we go here and we'll figure this out. I am going to turn the volume down on my phone because I keep getting updates from everybody right now. Um, okay, so you guys want to know what I think about Wilder. And personally, I just think he says a lot of stupid shit. He, he comes off, whenever I've seen the guy in person, he comes off like a big teddy bear. He's a really nice guy, it seems, and everything. But lately, he's been building up more of this bad boy persona. And I don't know if that's his way of trying to market himself or something. But he just has a very abrasive personality. And it seems that he has made the decision that he is going to go 
one particular direction with the way he markets himself, brands himself, and the caricature, if you will, that he wants to play. And I think that's going to his potential stardom. Uh, kind of like a male Clarissa Shields in a way, honestly. Because Clarissa Shields is very abrasive with her personality as well. Jesus, I thought I'd muted this freaking phone. Um, but he says dumb shit. He says idiotic things. Sometimes I think it's mostly just him talking out of his ass, trying to hype himself up, hype up a fight. And that's just, it is what it is. My advice, don't pay too much attention to that kind of shit. He's saying stuff like that and people are going to run with it, do clickbait videos and, and all this kind of stuff. Don't fall for that kind of bait. You know what I'm saying? If, if We'll find out what happens when he fights Brazil. Do I think he really wants to kill Dominic Brazil? No, I, I really don't. I think he's talking shit. And he's, you know... Are there double standards in the media? If other fighters said what he said, would there be hell to pay? Yeah. Your decision, he's going to run with it. And that's just the personality he's going to go with. Is that his true personality at home with his kids? Probably not. But that's the public persona that he wants to put on. And it ain't changing anytime soon. So if that kind of stuff really pisses you off and hurts you and bothers you, just mute. Don't watch Deontay Wilder's interviews. You know, press mute when he's doing an interview, when he's on TV. Um, personally, I just don't give a shit. I, I'm too busy. I got too many things going on to worry about what him or any other fighter is saying. I care about what they do in the ring. There are instances where some things do cross the line. But him saying that on some during some interview, uh, for me, it's just trash talk and it's, it's rubbish. Okay? So that's it with the news and notes. There's not a whole lot going on right now news-wise, but we had a lot of fights last weekend. So let's get into the review. I'm going to do a little bit of the review here, guys, and then we're going to get to your questions. So um, keep, them, keep them going on the chat. Tiff will get them over to me. I'll have to go pick up my phone in a second because I just threw it on the ground. But last Friday, April 12th, Staples Center, Los Angeles, top rank on ESPN+, Plus, not ESPN, Vasily Lomachenko, Scores a fourth-round KO over Anthony Corolla, Defends his WBA and WBO uh, lightweight titles. So they wanted, obviously, Richard Comey, who has the IBF title. You guys know Comey injured his hand, so they had to delay that. So they thought, well, let's go ahead and fight the mandatory. And so I told you guys last week, Corolla's tough. Corolla's probably going to go rounds. Don't be surprised. There's even a slight chance this could go to distance. Probably not. Probably a late stoppage for Loma. But there's a slight chance because this dude has shown grit and toughness before with bigger, more skilled fighters. Jorge Linares comes to mind, right? So I really thought that this would at least go into the later rounds. Seven, eight, nine. I thought it'd be completely one-sided. I didn't think Carlo would win a round, but I thought he'd stick around and just take an ass whooping. Because he has shown that toughness before, he is the naturally bigger guy, but also because Lomachenko has been injured, and we just haven't seen him turn over uh, with the right hook. He had shoulder surgery, so uh, Pedraza took him to distance, right? Um, or took him late into the fight. Did he stop him at the end there? I can't remember. But um, so, yeah, it didn't go anywhere. It, it was done in the second round. I mean, the first round was kind of a feel-out round for Lomachenko. He downloaded information, and then from the second round on, he literally beat the shit out of Krala, 
who uh, the ropes held him up in the third round. Jack Reese correctly called it a knockdown. I thought Jack Reese did a good job taking control in that situation because Lomachenko thought he stopped the fight. But then in the fourth round, that was it, right? And, and uh, just a nasty right hook right to the temple. Uh, Krola leaned down, which you shouldn't do against a guy that's so vastly superior to you. You should never lean straight back. You should never lean straight down. You have to give angles. He kind of bent straight over. Boom. Right hook nails him right in the temple. Falls face first onto the canvas. And he was badly concussed for a while there. So, um, as I mentioned last week, Carla has six losses coming in. I think now it's seven. But I believe he'd only been stopped once. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but that stoppage, it wasn't a one-punch knockout like this. It was either an accumulation or an injury, something like that. Uh, so, for him to get blasted out by Lomachenko, immediately... You see all the hate on Twitter. You see a bunch of people talking shit. This guy doesn't impress me. I tweeted some of the ones I saw on some Facebook uh, chat rooms this weekend that were just hilarious. And they were even coming from professional fighters like Devon Alexander, who, who Devon Alexander has uh, tweeted out some weird shit before about homosexuals and anal sex and just weird shit. And he posted several things, tweeted several things this weekend about Lomachenko that just came off is really petty. And, and it almost seems like there's a twinge of jealousy from some people. There's a discomfort. But I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. And I've said this before. It's just flat out prejudice and, 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 and bigotry that comes from a lot of people that just want to overly criticize this dude. Did Lomachenko beat an elite fighter Friday night in L.A.? No. He beat a B-level fighter. But a solid, proven veteran fighter who's gone the distance with high-level, A-level, elite-level opposition in the past. And Lomachenko blew him out of the freaking water. He did what you're supposed to do at that level, right? When, you, when you're not just one, but two levels above a dude, you're supposed to blow him out like that. And what I find so interesting is that there are fighters in the past who, who are respected as being technicians, defensive technicians, you know, guys like Floyd Mayweather, guys like Vladimir Klitschko, Bernard Hopkins, Andre Ward, uh, Winky Wright, the list goes on, that played with their food and let guys, the level of crawler, go to the 9th, 10th, 11th round, if not the distance in some fights. Should Robert Guerrero have went the distance with Floyd Mayweather? No! Robert Guerrero is pretty much on Anthony Crawler's level. Pretty much on that level. Okay, and Floyd took him the distance and charged you all $80 for it. And a lot of you that gladly forked over that $80 and thought that Floyd was just brilliant in his annihilation of Robert Guerrero over 12 rounds are bashing the shit out of Vasily Lomachenko doing it against Anthony Crawler, a mandatory, by the way. That cost you $5 on the ESPN Plus app. It's just inconsistent. And... Sometimes fans are inconsistent, sometimes media, sometimes everyone's inconsistent, okay? But there's a, when you see a pattern, when you see patterns forming, you can only draw certain conclusions. And a lot of the Lomachenko hate is just flat out based in bigotry and hatred and jealousy. Michelle Rosado, Raging Babe, had a wonderful tweet. I don't, don't I can't remember if it was Sunday. It might have been Saturday night, Sunday. I don't know. But she tweeted something to the effect, I'm um, paraphrasing, take Lomachenko's resume, and I think Lomachenko has like four, 13, 14 fights, and compare his whole resume to anyone else's last 13, 14 fights, it's better. 
And you know what? She's right. I see so many people tweeting about or just posting and making video, whatever. Lomachenko ain't fought nobody. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this dude fought Orlando Salido in his second pro fight. The haters will go, well, yeah, Mikey Garcia beat Salido, destroyed him. Yeah. How many fights had Garcia had before that? 20-something, I think. 20-something fights. At least around 20, right? It wasn't his second pro fight. Also, Garcia and Salido fought on even terms. Salido didn't cheat. Salido cheated against Lomachenko before the fight and during the fight. And Salido's been a proven cheater in the past. Don't get me wrong. I like Salido. I don't think he's Hall of Fame worthy. The West Coast LA boxing media salivates over the guy and thinks he should be in the Hall of Fame one day. I don't. I think he falls short of that. People compare him to Arturo Gatti. Arturo Gatti was a better fighter than Orlando Salido at any point. He just was. At his best, he was better than Salido. But Salido has provided outstanding memories and moments. And for that reason, I understand why he's in that discussion. And I respect him. And I was there for some of his greatest fights. And I'm happy I was. Salido, we need Salidos. Orlando Salidos in boxing. But there was a lot of gray area, an asterisk next to that fight with Lomachenko, right? Lomachenko still almost pulled it out. But to lose that fight in your second pro fight, who gives a flying Fuck. Honestly. He comes right back in his third fight and destroys Gary Russell Jr. I don't mean destroy like he physically knocked him out, but he outclassed and dominated him. The guy who is the best featherweight in the world right now, the guy I would pick to beat Leo Santa Cruz or any other featherweight right now, and most of you would too. He toyed with the guy. I was ringside. I was 10 feet from the ring, 20 feet. He toyed with him. Okay, in his third pro fight. So to, to say he hasn't fought anybody, in his first three fights, he has a better resume than either Charlo. Three fights in, yeah, I'm saying it. Then you look at what he's done since. Guillermo Rigondeau was pound for pound. Everyone, top five pound for pound. Half of you out there thought Rigo was going to win that fight. Lomachenko doesn't just toy with him. He outclasses him. He did... More to Rigo than Spence did to Mikey Garcia. All of a sudden, no, no, no. Rigo had to move up and wait. As if Lomachenko's this massive 130-pounder, now 135-pounder. Knowing full damn well, he only moved up because he was ducked by every featherweight in the world. Then Jorge Linares, who was on the bubble for years as a top 15 pound-for-pound pound kind of guy. I never thought he was top 10. I thought he was top 15, though. He was a little short. Some of you out there had Jorge Linares on your top 10 pound for pound list. I always felt he felt just a little short of that, but he was always on the bubble. And before Garcia and Loma moved up, Linares was seen as the number one lightweight in the world. What did Lomachenko do against him? And you guys will say, well, he got knocked down. Again, who gives a flying fuck? He came in off balance, got dropped. It was a flash knockdown. Any of you holding it against a dude because he got knocked down in a fight that he, other than that, thoroughly dominated, you probably never boxed before. You certainly haven't sparred before. So the, the level of hatred for this guy. I say all this, and Terrence Crawford might be better. Terrence Crawford might be the number one pound for pound right now. But it's between him and Lomachenko. 
We'll find out. We'll see what happens this, this Saturday in the fight that I'll talk about later. But man, just some of you guys need to chill and just enjoy what you're seeing. Vince Cummings and Kenny Keith on their podcast, I believe, uh, yeah, I think, I think it came out yesterday. I listened to it. They talked about Lomachenko being a uh, generational talent. I fully agree. And, and by the way, so are people like Terrence Crawford, Alexander Usyk, several other guys. Generational talent. The difference between Lomachenko and those guys, though, there just seems to be an extra level of special there. It's the footwork. It's the movement. It's being so light on his feet that no other boxer has right now. Name me the last guy you saw with that kind of footwork. The only name that comes to mind for me is a prime Pacquiao who just had natural God-given ability with his feet. Uh, Lomachenko probably lighter on his feet than Pacquiao. Pacquiao a little more explosive. But those two guys, the last... 40 years of boxing, I can't think of fighters pound for pound that had better footwork than Manny Pacquiao and Vasily Lomachenko, at least not as dynamic and, and just beautiful footwork as those two guys. So I, y'all just need to chill, man. Enjoy what you're seeing. Okay, back to this card. Uh, Gilberto Ramirez scores a four-round retirement win over Tommy Carpensi, who came in basically to get a check. Had a huge mouse up under his eye coming in. He gave it a try for a couple rounds and decided, I don't want no more of this shit. You know what? That's fine. It is what it is. Uh, he claimed a rib injury. And you know what? There might be a serious rib injury. If you, if you break a rib in the second round of a fight, uh, kind of hard to go to distance. We've seen it before. But when you don't have anything to keep dude off of you, which Carpency doesn't, um, you know, it is what it is. So um, for Ramirez, what's next? You look at the way the guy fights. He looks better at 75 than he did at 68. And no, I don't think he's going down to 68 to fight Callum Smith. I think he should never go back down now that he's went up to 75. I believe he weighed 196 on fight night. Okay, he doesn't need to go down again. Stay at 75. But him against Vozdik, him against uh, Bivol, Kovalev, even a guy like Eladir Alvarez, I think they're going to beat him down. I want to see the fights because I think he'll make for an entertaining, fun fight. And who knows? Maybe he'll show us something he hasn't shown us yet in those fights. I just don't see the skills. He really smothers his power. He lunges in. His, he's a southpaw, right? So he's shooting a straight left hand. His elbow's always bent. He never gets full extension on it. He doesn't box from the outside. He gives up his height and his reach and all the natural advantages he has. I, he's just not at the level that some people originally thought he'd be. Uh, Arnold Barboza out of Long Beach, 27-year-old, 140-pounder, not known for having power. Well, he sure beat the hell out of Mike Alvarado, KO3. Uh, Alvarado needs to retire. That was a brutal knockout. Um, not as bad as the Loma Crolla knockout, but pretty close. Alvarado needs to retire. When you're getting drilled like that by a guy who has... I, I don't know. I can't remember how many knockouts Barboza has, but his knockout percentage is well below 50%. I do believe, correct me if I'm wrong, not a hard puncher. And Alvarado got drilled by him. Uh, time to hang him up, dude. I hope you saved your money. I hope you got off the, the white girl, the nose candy, and you're living clean and you saved your money. Also, Alexander Besputin, a welterweight prospect out of Russia who now trains out of Oxnard. He improved to 13-0 and. Kazakh Oxnard fighter Janibek Alam Kunoli 
Uh, middleweight improved to 6-0. They both scored unanimous decision wins. Each got in 10 rounds. Pretty boring fights for them. Not the most scintillating stuff, but they got in 10 much-needed rounds. So good for them. Okay, so that was Friday. Uh, let me see. Let me get to a few of you guys' questions here. Um, find my notes. And um, I'll get back to the review. So that's, that takes us through last Friday. Flinner asked, do you think Floyd Mayweather is using performance-enhancing drugs throughout his career? I asked that due to the video you made about IV gate a few years ago. Brother, I have no way of knowing that or proving that. Um, do I think that there are some... Throughout his career, absolutely not. I, I, don't, I don't at all believe that. But later in his career, there were some things that were a little shady looking. Now, does that prove anything? No, but I've said this multiple times and it's true and it's been documented and I'm talking about circumstantial and physical evidence. There, there is more circumstantial and physical evidence linking Floyd Mayweather to shady activity than there ever was for Manny Pacquiao, ever. Like seriously, like t turning in a low TE ratio, not once but twice, just off a regular piss test, not even a blood test. Uh, things like that. And then just his uh, relationship with the commission there in Nevada and USADA and their uncomfortable relationship with boxing in general, particularly with Al Heyman clients and their history together. Uh, a lot of circumstantial evidence, yes, but even some physical evidence that just doesn't look good. Now, does that mean Floyd cheated throughout his whole career? Absolutely not. But does it mean that perhaps toward the tail end of his career when his abilities started to fade a little bit and he did finally have to step up and fight some, some higher level opponents past their prime, but higher level opponents at a certain point, there was a lot of money on the line. Maybe something was going on. I don't know, but I, I wish we knew more. I wish Floyd would do VADA testing if he ever comes back and fights again. I wish he would have accepted Manny Pacquiao's request to do VADA testing for their super fight instead of demanding USADA. He was not going to fight Pacquiao unless he rolled with USADA, which is inferior testing but costs 10 times as much. And then the whole IV gate thing. Keep in mind, guys, when you hear performance-enhancing drugs, a lot of people hear steroids, right? And they think about muscles and steroids. The overwhelming majority of fighters, whether any martial artists, whether it's boxers, wrestlers, kickboxers, that do performance enhancing drugs, it's generally speaking weight cutters and, and things to help you heal. It's not necessarily steroids to help you bulk up. Some fighters have done that. We've seen fighters linked to HGH and all kinds of stuff like that. But for the most part, especially now with the designer drugs and stuff, uh, a lot of guys use stuff to help cut weight and cut fat and things like that, okay? In certain parts of the world, it's, it's a big problem. So, you know, the whole IV gate thing and everything with Floyd, that doesn't equate to steroids. You guys need to get that out of your mind. It equates to other things that may have been going on that were a violation of the rules and there should have been more transparency, bottom line. But can we know what went on? Hell no, we can't know, we're never gonna know. It just is what it is. Kento asks, greetings from London, England. England, What's up, man? Was it midnight for you guys? Or like, I think 7 p.m. here on the East Coast is 11 p.m. for you guys. I try to go on a little earlier to include some of you guys over in the UK, but not too early to where my people's on the West Coast 
you know, I, w- I want to make sure that you guys on the West Coast can get in uh, while you're driving home from work or something. So I try to time this thing just right. Thanks for tuning in, brother. Barker Raider asks, what are your thoughts on Janibek Alam Kunali? I hope I'm saying that name right. And what did you think about Zerto's light heavyweight debut? Well, hopefully you just heard my uh, review a second ago, so I won't even get into Zerto again. But with the Kazakh fighter, uh, does some good things well, but a lack of pop, a real lack, does a lot of things well, but a lack of power. It's almost a Joseph Diaz situation there, I'm afraid. Against the killers at middleweight, bro, you've got to have power. If you don't have power to keep some of these dudes off of you, he couldn't keep, he's nowhere near ready for this, but I'm just saying a year or two from now, is he going to be able to keep the Charlos off of him, Herd off of him, even Andre? I don't know. He could maybe outbox them, but can he? someone like Hurd, who just rolls downhill, a stalker like Golovkin, with that lack of pop, I don't know, bro. Uh, that, that would be my concern for him. Melvin Perez asks, would it be a good idea for Jacobs to avoid the rehydration clause? You know, I've been asked this several times. I don't think so. I, weight is not going to be a factor in his fight with Canelo. Conditioning and... Um, skills are going to determine that fight. Canelo will likely weigh more on fight night than Jacobs. I know that sounds nuts because you guys have seen their 30-day weigh-in and Jacobs was higher and heavier and stuff. But man, Canelo refuses to do night of weigh-ins for the network, right? When he was on HBO and so he never did that. Um, This dude will gain 20 pounds. So there won't be a huge disparity in weight between the two of them. If Jacobs cares about the titles, and he is representing the IBF, I think it'd be rather hypocritical for him to skip the, the rehydration clause. Pat Gray asked, if you could make one fighter retire, who would you choose? Oh, I talked about Mike Alvarado already, right? He's the first one that pops in mind because he just got drilled last weekend. He needs to retire. And I'm probably going to be saying the same thing about Amir Khan next Monday. October 4th. Uh, hey, brother, loving these live chats. Do you think Comey will be put up much better opposition than Crowley did against Loma? Do you think Loma gets him next? Yes. Loma and Comey, that is a good fight. That is two top five lightweights. Name me five lightweights better than Richard Comey right now. Richard Comey might be the second best lightweight because I don't think Mikey Garcia is going back down to 135. So Comey might be number two. Number one is Loma. Number two might be Comey. He's certainly up there, two or three. I mean, again, tell me who's better right now at 35. However, Grandpa Bob said that it is possible that they're going to put Tiafimo Lopez in there against Comey to go for the IBF title. And they're going to send Loma over to the UK to fight Luke Campbell and then have the two winners fight each other next year for a complete unification. Um, we'll see. You know, that, that would be interesting. And look, I don't like the Tiafimo Lopez fight against Lomachenko in 2019. It's too damn soon. He needs at least two more fights. And he has got to fight a top 10 guy before he's ready for Loma. If he truly feels that he's ready for a top 10, top 5 guy, and then he's ready for Loma, I like Grandpa Bob's plan. Put him in there against Comey. See what happens. Comey's going to be coming off an injury. He'll have a little bit of ring rust. Uh, Tiafimo would be his time to step up or shut up. Let's see. Uh, October 4th also asks, what is your overall take on Zerto's debut at 75? Again, I talked about this earlier. Maybe some of you guys are getting in the chat late, um, or maybe I'm just getting to these questions late. But yeah, Zerto at 75, 
top 10 guy, probably bottom half of the top 10. That's a loaded division right now. He'll contend with the other, you know, with the belt holders, but there's so much more athletically gifted than him and so much more skilled. And they fought better opposition. And that's really what it comes down to. Zerto is going to make a quantum leap in opposition if he jumps right to one of the belt holders. So he needs, to, but then again, if he fights a couple of the other, he might fight a guy like Sullivan Barrera or Alvarez, who I mentioned earlier, and get beat by one of those guys. So, you know, it, I'm curious what they do with him, but he should not go back down to 68. CN asks, also, Mike, will Loma go down as an all-time great? What else can he do to build his legacy? If Vasily Lomachenko retired right now, first ballot Hall of Famer, and he's going to be seen as one of the best fighters of the decade. However, he falls a little short of all-time great status because he just hasn't done enough yet. He hasn't had an opportunity to. He wants to. He wants to fight the top guys. But you look at him versus Terrence Crawford. Lomachenko has fought better and beat better fighters than Terrence Crawford. That's a fact. But Terrence Crawford unified, completely unified and cleaned out a division. Lomachenko has not done that yet. So even though 135 is not a very strong division right now, if Loma can clean it out and then maybe do a one-off super fight at 140, you know, uh, something like that, Maybe, maybe that will be enough to put him in all-time great type of talks. Maybe him and Mikey Garcia fight in another year or two at 140 pounds or something. I don't know. But, dude, from 130 to 135, who is there? Tank Davis, I think Loma beats the brakes off him. I think he beats Teofimo Lopez right now. He's just still unproven to me. And then any, if any of the featherweights – dare to fight him like Leo Santa Cruz or somebody. He's already beat the best one, as I mentioned earlier, Gary Russell. I think he'd beat those guys. So uh, he's just got to stay busy and just keep beating these dudes. That's all he can really do. Pat Gray, who is the worst champion in a game right now? Whoa. You know, off the top, I can't name somebody off the top of my head, but I would bet my entire house that I'm building right now that it's probably one of the WBA titleists and interim gold regular one of those. Check hook 93 asks, what is Khan's best chance of victory? Khan's best chance of victory, Terrence, I will talk about this later. Terrence Crawford's a slow starter. If he just comes balls out in the first round or two before Bud finds his groove, maybe he can ice him. Maybe he can catch him. He is fast. He does have power. All right, one more question, then back to the review. Komatsuda asks, what is your opinion on Lennox Lewis as a commentator? I think he's a snowflake and does exactly what he complained about when he was active. Yeah, Lennox Lewis isn't a very good commentator. Super nice man, wonderful human being, great fighter. And, you know, nothing but respect for the guy. Just not the best commentator. For me personally, I think that being a good commentator takes a few different things. It requires a few different things. Uh, a lot of these networks, they have to get a fighter on as part of the commentary crew. And I understand why, because you want someone there with you know, technical expertise and everything. I get that. But that doesn't always equate to being the best commentator. Some of the most technical-minded you know, technical boxing minds in the world are complete dog shit on the mic and even worse on camera. When you've got a microphone in front of your face and you've got a camera on you and you've got a crowd of people in front of you, uh, you have to know how to play to that. And it's not just about being uh, snappy 
and you know, being able to connect with people live and, and being able to make adjustments on the go and everything, it, there's a lot of moving parts to it. Guys, doing commentary is way harder than it looks, trust me. But you also have to be entertaining, man. You have to be dynamic. You have to grab people's attention. And that's just something Lennox just doesn't do. He, he just, he struggles with that and he freezes up a lot. Okay, let's do some more review and I'll get to some more questions, guys. Um, Saturday, we had some fights all over the place, but let's go right to Monterey, Mexico because there's some controversy to talk about here. Jaime Munguia wins a majority decision over Dennis Hogan, who in my opinion looks like Canelo Alvarez's brother separated at birth. The fourth defense of his WBO junior middleweight title scores 114-114, which I thought was a fair score. 115-113 for Munguia, not very good. And Waleska Roldan scored at 116-112 for Munguia. Somehow that judge found eight rounds to give to Munguia in this fight. That judge sucks a dick. And not just a dick, but a fat dick. This is the same judge who scored uh, Jeff Horn over Manny Pacquiao 117-111. to Remember the, I can't remember what round of that fight. Maybe it's the seventh, eighth round. That was a 10-8 round. I never like scoring 10-8 rounds without a knockdown, but I scored that one 10-8, right? Because Pacquiao beat the brakes off Horn. If that fight had been anywhere, any other continent than Australia, any other part of the world other than Australia, the fight would have been stopped right then and there. There at least would have been a standing eight or something, right? But Jeff Horn didn't just win that fight, according to Waleska Roldan, but 117-111. So disgusting scorecard in that fight, disgusting scorecard in this fight. So for Munguia, let's talk about him for a second. And I don't want to beat up on the kid. He's young. He's really just a prospect. The problem, though, when these prospects win titles because they, they get into a situation where they can go for a title real quick before they're really ready to contend with the killers of their division is you're going to have more pressure. You're going to have more eyes on you. People are going to want to see you fight top guys. Mungia is a prospect. And him winning that title against Saddam Ali, that was just a matter of right time, right place, right style, right size matchup. And nobody had seen him. People in Ali's camp had no idea what the hell they were fighting. They thought, oh, this is just some kid from Mexico. He hasn't fought anybody. We'll go in there and outskill him. No worries. And he got beat down, right? So everyone's jumping all over the Jaime Munguia hype train. And I remember at that time, my boy Steve Kim, I love him. He's a brother to me, dear friend. He was all aboard the Jaime Munguia hype train. And I remember telling him, because, yeah, when Mogia fought Smith, I was like, that fight's going to distance, dude. He's like, man, no way. That fight's going to distance. Mogia is not as good as you guys think. And what happened? Now, sometimes I get shit wrong. I got a few picks wrong this weekend, last weekend. But I get, I get most of it right. Mogia is just a prospect who has a title. So I don't want to be too hard on the guy. This was his first fight in Mexico since, since he won the title, right? His first title defense, kind of a homecoming in his home country, there was some pressure there. Uh, everybody overlooked. Well, okay, 99% of us overlooked Dennis Hogan, okay? So uh, I'm sure Munguia and his people did too. Hogan has absolutely no power to him. Punches like Pauli Malignaggi. Clarissa Shields might hit harder than him, seriously. So he couldn't hurt Munguia. But... Hogan lands 123 of 493 punches, 25% accuracy. Munguia throws 671, 
So he threw almost, you know, what, 180 more punches, but lands almost the same, 122. 18% accuracy for Munguia. He landed 9% of his jabs. Munguia is insanely inaccurate as a puncher. He is so sloppy. He makes Gilberto Ramirez look like Pernell Whitaker. He's all over the place, sloppy as hell. And just the judges in this fight were clearly influenced by the crowd, who if Mugia breathed on Hogan, had an orgasm, I understand, but the judges can't be human. They have to be robots. The judges agreed on six of the 12 rounds in this fight. So six of the, you know, half of the rounds were swing rounds. For Mugia to win this fight, and especially for him to win six rounds, or I'm sorry, eight rounds of the fight, which that roll-down judge scored it for him, you got to give him every damn swing round because there were at least four or five rounds that, uh, that Hogan clearly won. Clearly. I'm not talking about closely won. I'm talking about dominated the round. So you have to give virtually every swing round to Mungia for him to win this fight. And we see this too often. Swing rounds are supposed to be split, usually, because they're a swing round. So if you favor one guy every single time, his style, I mean, some judges just see things a certain way, but man, you got to be objective. You got to be able to see what's going on in there. Mungia had great body language because especially in the 12th round, the last few rounds, he came out punching, punching, punches and bunches, right? He was coming forward. It looked like he wanted it. He kept getting punched and hit and knocked back, but he kept charging forward. He wanted it. Cool. That's a lot of aggression and you should, uh, you should reward aggression, but you should reward effective aggression. And Mungia had none of it. None of it. Now, Hogan could have done a little more punching. He did not even throw 500 punches, so he could have thrown more, but it's clear what his game plan was. It was to make this guy miss and make him pay, and that's what he did. What I find interesting about this is you, you look at a fight like this and you compare it to when Tony Harrison fought Jermel Charlo. Tony Harrison basically Dennis Hogan'd Charlo, right? And he gets the decision. He gets the benefit of the doubt as the boxer in that matchup. But here in the same situation, Hogan's basically doing what Tony Harrison did to Charlo, and Hogan doesn't get the decision. He's not seen as a boxer. I don't know why. He can't be seen as a boxer, but Tony Harrison can. I don't know what the difference between them is and why there might be someone might look at one guy and see one thing and look at another guy and see another thing. I can't quite put my finger on it. But why does one guy get the nod in a fight like that against... And Tony Harrison was the B-C-plus side against Charlo's A-side, right? Hogan, yeah, this was like A-side, F-side, right, in terms of the matchup and the politics. But, dude, he did enough. At best, this was a draw. So, Golden Boy, Zanford Promotions, The Zone, everybody involved. The best thing they can do is make an immediate rematch. Here's why I want to see it. couple reasons. Number one, it's the right thing to do for the fans, for the sport, for Hogan and all his people who have been a good sport about this. But it's also the right thing to do for Mungia and his future in this sport. Here's why. He can show if he can make improvements in a rematch. He can show if he can look at the 12 rounds he spent with Dennis Hogan, watch the footage, work on things in camp, and improve. If he can do that, guess what? We just saw growth. We just witnessed growth happen with a young fighter. 
That's what you want to do before you put him in there against the killers at 160 pounds because we all know Oscar's building him up for Canelo on the zone. Of course, that's going to happen in Mexico City, Azteca Stadium. 100,000 fans are going to be there. We already know what the hell they're going to do, right? Okay, why not build the kid up just a little bit before then? Develop him just a little bit. One more fight at 154, a rematch with Dennis Hogan, balls out, show the improvement, beat him fair and square, then move up on a positive note and show the world that you can grow. What is it? David uh, Benavidez at 168. I can't remember the guy he fought. Ronald Gavril, Gavril, I think it was who he fought. First fight, remember? Gavril looked very good. At best, it was a draw. A lot of people thought Gavril won that fight. Benavidez escapes with the decision win. So they do it again. They do a rematch. And in the rematch, Benavidez dominates him. I think he basically shut him out. He showed tremendous growth. He showed he could actually think, make adjustments, and improve from one fight to the next. Let's see if Jaime Munguia has that in him. That's what we need to see. So that's what needs to happen next. Will it happen? Probably not. But if Munguia is someone to take seriously, for you as a fight fan, that is what needs to happen next. And it actually is the best thing to do for Jaime Munguia. It truly is. Last note about this fight. Some of you are comparing it to when Sean Porter fought uh, Ugas. I understand that comparison. To me, though, Ugas did even less than what Hogan did. I mentioned Hogan only threw 493 punches, right? Ugas threw 449. He threw about 50 punches less than Hogan did. Porter didn't throw many punches. He threw 515. But he landed about 20 more than Ugas did at the same connect percentage, right? Porter landed more jabs and an equal amount of power punches. When you see a guy have equal power punching numbers and out jab him, that's generally speaking, you're doing just as much exchanges with the power punches, but in between those gaps, you're filling the gaps with the jab more. So just off punch numbers, I just, I know punch numbers are not the Bible. I get it. But it's an indication as to what took place. And I think that Porter may have squeaked that one out because Ugas sat around waiting. It's not the same thing that we saw between Munguia and Hogan. Similar, but different. Okay, also on this card, Diego De La Hoya in his first fight at 126. A bad headbutt in the second round opens up a gash on the head. They stop the fight. No contest. Uh, NC3, it goes down. So no contest going into the third round. Uh, Diego De La Hoya just can't catch a freaking break, man. Just a hard luck fighter so far. Uh, Minneapolis Armory in Minnesota. Minnesota. PBC and Fox Sports 1. Sergey Drevyanchenko barely squeaks by Jack Colke. An IBF eliminator. Uh, scores are 116-112 twice and 115-113. Um, he was hurt late, I think in the 10th round. Hurt in the late rounds. Colke made a, a strong push. Maybe a little too little too late for him. Drevyanchenko, yeah, I think he did just a little bit more in this fight. I don't know quite what to think about Drevyanchenko. He seems there's a little bit of Oleksandr Vojdyk in him where he kind of fights down to the level of his opposition, but he's nowhere near as good as the nail. So now he's in, in line for the winner between Canelo Jacobs. Canelo's probably going to win that fight. So it is an option for Golden Boy, the folks at the zone, to put Canelo against 
Derevyanchenko if they don't want to go into the third fight with Gennady Golovkin. If they would rather go into the third fight with Gennady Golovkin, I, maybe the IBF's going to strip Canelo. I, I don't know what's going to happen there. We'll find out. And then the lady fight. And I'll talk about this, guys, and then we'll get to your questions, okay? Um, Boardwalk Hall, Atlantic City on Showtime. Interesting. Main event, Clarissa Shields and uh, Christina Hammer starts at the exact same time, right around the same time. Jaime Munguia, Dennis Hogan fight starts. But the lady fight is over way quicker. I was able to watch the interviews, everything with Shields Hammer, and then click over on the zone and watch the last few rounds of Munguia and Hogan because of those two-minute rounds and only 10 rounds. So uh, the women fighters, they just, you got to have three-minute rounds. And let me tell you, if there were three-minute rounds in this fight, Shields would have scored a knockout. She would have. The two-minute rounds robbed her of a knockout. Anyway, Shields basically Errol Spence, you know, basically she was Errol Spence and Hammer was Mikey Garcia in this fight. She just outclassed Hammer. I gave Hammer the first round and I believe the sixth round and she clearly won the first, but it was hard to give her another round. It was either the sixth or seventh that I gave her. So I, I gave her two rounds, uh, but that's it. Shields looked great in this fight. Really took the first round off, downloaded information, came out in the second round and dominated. And down the stretch, really looked like Hammer was about to go. I give credit Hammer for I give Hammer credit for hanging on, but a couple of those two minute rounds helped her out. If a you know that eighth, ninth, tenth round, if they were three minutes, probably would have got out of there. TKO win. So anyway, Shields takes all the titles now. And look, I thought this fight was going to look like Kovalev Ward one. I thought Shields might have some trouble early, come back, make it close, and win a close controversial decision. That's not what happened. It looked more like Spence Garcia. So props to Shields, right? Um, Hammer, pretty basic, pretty predictable. She has a nice jab, and a lot of the European fighters do. It's, it's a technical thing that they work on a lot, but she doesn't have anything else. The right hand is really telegraphed. I mean, she throws it from last week. And it's amazing that she has such a nice jab, but the right hand is shit. And there's nothing else. There's no hook. There's no uppercut. Um, and it's all one angle. The jab comes straight down the middle. There's no variation. She doesn't shoot it to the body. She doesn't lean left and shoot it, lean right and shoot it. She just stands straight up and shoots a jab. And that's enough to get it done, I guess, in Germany. But not here, Jack. Ain't going to fly. So uh, Shields had so much offensive variety really good defense and she couldn't be a weight bully in this fight she did maul and grapple a little bit hammer was trying to hold her but uh shields did a really good job of just thoroughly out crafting out skilling out willing out thinking and out fighting hammer so good for her man um let's see so shields calls herself the quote the greatest woman of all time right and I tweeted today that she's in the discussion. And some of you guys agreed, some of you disagreed. Let me, let me explain what I meant. And again, with Twitter, you have very few characters. What I mean by in the discussion is she's in the top 10 most accomplished female boxers of all time. I don't think that's, that's an argument anymore. She won two Olympic gold medals. Amateurs matter. Amateur success at the global level matters. It matters for somebody like Lomachenko, for Rigondeaux, uh, for Andre Ward, who won a gold medal, for Vladimir Klitschko, 
it matters. You, you take it into account, okay, with the professional career. And so she got two Olympic golds. She's now won a bunch of titles and she hasn't fought anybody. We thought Hammer, Hammer, probably the best opponent she's faced. And would you call Hammer an A-level fighter? I wouldn't. Based off what I saw, B-level fighter. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful, but this is the same thing Ronda Rousey ran into in female MMA. There's just not many very good fighters. Just not. The first time Ronda Rousey actually fought an A-level talent, an elite-level fighter in Holly Holm, she got beat. And then uh, Amanda Nunez is an elite-level fighter. She got beat, right? Now, Clarissa Shields is much better than Ronda Rousey ever was. So I'm, I'm, you know, I want to make that clear. But she hasn't fought an elite-level fighter yet because there, there are none in her division. There just are none. So she called out Cecilia Brekus, who fights at 147. I think Brekus is too small. But if they can settle on a catch weight, maybe 154, maybe 152, something like that, okay, I'd be interested. That moves the needle. I'd watch. Is it pay-per-view like Clarissa Shields suggested? No. There weren't even a 1,000 people at this fight. There were no mainstream media outlets covering this fight that I know of. None of the guys I know in the media were there. They were in L.A. For, for the Loma fight. There was guys up in Minnesota for that fight, people down in Mexico for that fight. But all the mainstream guys, I, I don't know. Did any of them go to Atlantic City? You guys let me know. I, I don't know. I don't follow a lot of the mainstream guys, the A-lister boxing media people, because most of them are just out of touch and overrated. But the ones I do know and respect, they weren't there. So a fight between her and Brekus, that's suddenly pay-per-view here in America? No, you're being delusional, Clarissa. And that's an issue with Clarissa Shields. So she's young, but she's very abrasive. She has an abrasive kind of personality. And it's just who she is. And I understand it now. I think she has a good heart as a person. I think she's a nice, good person. I think she's ignorant about some things. Uh, has some biases and prejudices that, you know, she sees things through a certain filter and that's going to always cause her issues and limit her uh, in, in terms of her cro crossover mass appeal. And then there's some other factors involved in it that, uh, that do matter. I mean, you got to knock people out. You got to be entertaining. And if you're a female fighter, it helps if you're good looking. It just does. Cecilia Brekos is a beautiful woman. I'm just going to say it. She is. She's a beautiful woman. That helps. That helps her marketing. Uh, the Serrano sisters, Serranos, they're good looking, right? That helps their marketing. Holly Holm was a nice looking girl, you know? That helps. Ronda Rousey, not ugly, helps. So that's part of it if you're a female fighter because 99% of fight fans, okay, 95% are guys. So it helps. Now, you either have to be devastating, right? Like Ann Wolf who literally would KO women. She would knock them out. Or you have to kind of be good looking and have a charming personality. And by charming, I don't mean kiss ass and be dainty. I just mean a, an appealing personality that lends itself to a, a large group of people. And I, I don't mean, I'm not talking race, guys. I'm just talking worldview. I'm talking age groups. I'm talking men and women, you know. And Clarissa, just, she's just never going to have that. So it's unfortunate. 
she kind of lacks an opponent that's going to be like an elite level opponent to really challenge her. All she can do, keep lining them up and knocking them down. But under, but know where you stand, okay? Um, Lomachenko fought a mandatory in Los Angeles, a city where there's an abundance of things to do. There is more to do in Los Angeles than any other city in America. Yes, I'm including New York. Sorry for triggering you, New Yorkers. My mom's from New York, for the record, okay? There is more to do in LA on any given day, any day of the year, than there is to do in New York. Yes, I'm saying it. I'm not blinking. <laughs> so, because I know you guys are going to say, what about New York? I just told you. In LA, you got beach, you got mountains, you got all kinds of stuff going on 12 months a year. 10,000 plus people showed up at Staples Center downtown to watch Lomachenko fight a guy that was like a 100 to 1 underdog, a mandatory that nobody had ever heard of here in the States, right? There aren't that many Ukrainians so in LA. So obviously, people of different ethnicities, different groups, different types of people are going to see this little Ukrainian dude who walks around at 135 pounds soaking wet fight a mandatory. Yet, the biggest, branded as the biggest female fight ever, certainly top five female boxing match ever, maybe just in terms of all the hardware, complete unification of middleweight division, biggest female fight ever, maybe a thousand people at the boardwalk hall, uh, board, or not boardroom, <laughs> you know, it wasn't the main arena. I can't think of the room right now, the theater or whatever. I think there was like 900 people there, a thousand people, okay? So you gotta put things in perspective. So Clarissa, here's what I envisioned for her, okay? She might go on to win every fight she ever has and retire undefeated. And with certain fans, certain celebrities, certain agendas, you guys got to remember, we're in the Me Too movement. There's a lot of people, including white knights and men who got after me for tweeting about Jenny Suchet a couple weeks ago um, and reported me to activist groups and shit. But uh, there's a lot of these white knight dudes and everyone t tweeting, uh, this is, you know, women's time, men's time is over, you know. So there's, there is a certain political agenda, people that are going to fall in line with what Cl Clarissa Shields is doing and be a super fan of hers. I don't necessarily think, though, that's going to correlate to ticket sales at fights. I think it'll correlate to views, to ratings. She'll do TV ratings. She'll probably do better ratings than any female fighter in American history on regular TV. The best thing her promoters could do is get her on Fox, but I don't know what that puts butts in the seats. I just don't think she's going to headline a card at the MGM in Las Vegas and do 15,000. I don't see it, even if she fights Cecilia Brekus. But with the people that enjoy her and get her personality and like what she's about and what she represents and then like her fighting style and all that stuff... They're going to ride with her and they're going to ride hardcore, but it's going to be a small fringe group of fans. That's just the reality. It is what it is. Okay, let's get to some questions before we go to the preview of this week. And this week we got a few cards. None of them are great, but we got some action. Let's see, how far are we in so far? Let me check out my monitor here. Okay, so we're in for an hour. We're doing good on time then. Um... Hashtag Joshua Wilder asks, has there ever been a resume in the first 14 fights as Loma has? Off the top of my head, no. I, I cannot think of a better resume 14 fights in. I simply can't. I can't think of a better resume three, four years in, um, pound for pound. 
there are guys who came in within their first few years, did some great work. But when, when you look at what he's done combined with the amateur pedigree, the World Series of Boxing, I, guys, what you're seeing is special. Stop hating. Stop feeling so insecure about you, yourself, and just enjoy what you're seeing. He ain't going to be primed for much longer. He's got two, a couple years left, and then he's going to be fading, just like Golovkin. These Eastern European guys that fight 300 amateur fights or whatever, they age quickly, you know? So you're only going to get a couple more years of this. You haters, I guess that's the positive thing for you. You ain't got to deal with this for a few more years. Jack Alter, prime for prime, Brewster versus Wilder. Whoa, that's interesting. Uh, Brewster could take a shot and he could throw one. I would favor Wilder just because of the height, length, jab, you know, if he fought smart. But if Luis Ortiz was able to put gloves on him, Lehman Brewster sure as hell could. And unlike Luis Ortiz, Brewster wouldn't break down late in the fight because he's 87 years old. You got me thinking about that one. I might have to pick Brewster by upset in that one. I know Wilder would be favored. But prime for prime, man, I don't know. Brewster might – shit. You got, I'm going to be thinking about that one for a couple hours, bro. That's a good one. Anonymous asks, Usyk or Loma, who has the better all-around skills? Right now, I'm going to go Loma. I'm going to go Loma right now. He's done a little bit more, in my opinion. We need to see more of Usyk. But I will, I will add this. It's harder to be that skilled as you get bigger as a human being. It's harder to be that light on your feet as you get bigger. So for Usyk to do what he does at his weight and height is really special. He just hasn't fought the level of opposition and looked as incredible against the level of opposition yet that Loma has. If he goes to heavyweight and he starts beating top 10 heavyweights, that's really special. James Burrell asks, Wilder versus Shields pre-maternity. I don't get it. I don't get what, what's pre-maternity mean, babe? What was the question? Wilder versus Shields pre-maternity. Are you saying like they should fight each other? Dude, I, 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 I just don't get it, bro. You got to reword it. I, I know there's a joke in there somewhere. It's just not clicking. Maternity means pregnant? I, I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving that one alone, man. Because, yeah, there's nothing good down that road. Diaz Kennels 210 asks, would you marry a Kardashian to get on ESPN? No. Here's the thing. If I... There's one Kardashian that's actually attractive that I don't hate. And it's the one that's not even popular. She's the little one. Uh, the one that's actually like skinny. That's racist. Uh, the, the, the one looks like a wildebeest. I can't think of her name. Uh, and then, and then Kim is extremely overrated. Ext if you've ever seen her in person, number one, she's like four foot two. Number two, she's got cottage cheese all over her fucking ass and thighs. And that butt and that body is not natural. I do not get the Kardashian thing. Most overrated shit ever. Komat Suda asks, hello from Christchurch, New Zealand. Nice. New Zealand in the house. Do you think Loma and Crawford can, will change their style as they get older? Um, I think Loma will have to change more than Crawford. The difference between the two of them. Loma is more that dynamic, explosive, athletic kind of fighter. Roy Jones-esque, right? Uh, Crawford is more of a skilled fighter, a craftsman. 
So he can, that type of fighting style extends and ages better. So he'll have to change his style less. Lomachenko is going to get to a point where he doesn't have the same kind of reflexes and he's going to have to make some adjustments. So I see Loma changing more as he gets older. Azie asks, how long can Oscar and Golden Boy get away with bad judges' decisions? Can DeZone do anything about it? DeZone can do absolutely nothing about it. But if I, if I were DeZone and I'm trying to get subscribers, I'd go to Golden Boy and I'd say, look, dude, let's do a replay of this fight. Let's get the Irish fans talking. Let's get the fans uh, in Mexico talking. Let's get American fans. Let's build up a promo to show the scores and the controversy and get some interviews with Hogan and his people and some Irish fans and some Mexican fans. And let's, let's build up a, a little preview show and build up this rematch. It can help drive subscribership. You know, that's what I would say if I were the folks at the zone. But yeah, they have zero power in this situation. It's really up to Team Mungia, uh, Oscar De La Hoya, of course, Golden Boy, and Zanfer, you know, who co-promotes uh, Mungia. Muhammad asks, do you think Kovalev Yard will happen? Yeah, I do. I think it's going to happen. I really do. I'm confident it will happen. Sabi MD asks, what's up from El Paso, Texas, the Sun City? Dude. Last week you said Sun City, and I was like, what, what, what city is the Sun City? I Googled it, and I saw El Paso. Then I remembered you. I was, oh, shit, yeah, El Paso, Texas. What's up, man? Birthplace of my father, by the way. My dad, his dad was in the Air Force, and there's a base somewhere around there. My dad was actually born in El Paso, Texas, moved to, uh, to Detroit when he was like a year old, you know. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so I got a link to the Sun City, my man. He asked, how important is a fighter's nickname to building their brand? And what would you want your boxing nickname to be if you ever went pro? Um, it works for some fighters, but then other fighters, you don't even know their nickname. So uh, it can be important. It all depends on how you market a guy. Um you know, Mike Tyson, his nickname was Iron, right? Because he was known as this unbreakable piece of iron. So people would go, Iron Mike Tyson. It worked. You know what I'm saying? But what was Lennox Lewis's nickname? The Lion, I think. Lennox the Lion or something. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Does anyone remember that shit? No. Because that wasn't how he was promoted, you know? Um, let's see. If I was a... If I was a uh, you know what, man? If I was a boxer, my nickname would be Mafia Mike. Mafia Michael Montero, because when I hit you, you go to sleep like the mob. I'd be like a hitman. Judge, someone's going to take that and put it on Twitter. It's going to be a freaking meme. Oh, my God. John Uden asks, do you think Diego De La Hoya has lost some passion for boxing? It wasn't long ago he was a prospect to watch. Absolutely, man. I don't know what happened there, but uh, yeah. Because he was one of those guys, I was really paying attention to him. I favored him to beat uh, Caballero. Um, and I thought after that fight that he was ready, man. He was ready to contend and he was going to be a guy, a possible future star. And then just everything fell apart. And I think part of it's because his team tried to keep him at 22, 122 for too long. And that happens a lot with these Mexican fighters, man. It, they kill themselves for too long at these lower weight classes, and I think it affects them later in their career. And here's a prime example of it. So I saw in a recent interview where he wants to try to get back down to 22. I think that's a huge mistake. 
first fight at 26, and then the, the no contest happens, you know, he's going to show us. If he's got a passion for boxing, he'll prove it to us by fighting through all this shit, all this turmoil. Anthony Rafter asked, thoughts on Pauli Malignaggi's bare-knuckle boxing? Honestly, I could give a fuck. I just don't care. Sun Monkey Kong asked, do you think Clarissa Shields could have knocked out Christina Hammer towards the end of the fight? Yep. If those were three-minute rounds, she would have... One punch knockout? No. Knockdown? No. But out on the ropes? TKO? Ref stoppage? Yes. Andrew asked, one more question, Mike. What will it look like behind your studio when it's finished? Uh, so what I'm probably going to do in the studio is have uh, magazine covers, a wall of magazine covers. Or you just have to wait and find out. And I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Fried Pork asks, if a swing round is scored 10-9, shouldn't a decisive round be scored 10-8 even without a knockdown? I understand your logic. I understand what you're saying there. But, uh, and that's, that's you know, a, a minor flaw in the 10-9, you know, the 10-point must system. But a 10-8 round is supposed to be when you knock a guy down, meaning it's dominant, right? And I understand. Sometimes you can dominate a round thoroughly, to where a guy's badly, badly hurt, but he just doesn't go down. And that's 10-9. Then other times, you could catch a guy off balance like Linares did with Lomachenko. He wasn't hurt. He was just hit off balance. It was just an off-balance shot. Lomachenko was fine. That's a 10-8 round. So there is nuance there. I understand. But if they want to change that rule, then they need to clarify that in the rules of boxing. And it needs to be something that the commissions all talk about and are in unison on. I would support, you know, maybe making that a new rule to where regardless of a knockdown, if one guy is really dominated, you could score a 10-8. Think of all the judges that make horrible decisions all the time. That's just giving them one more option to make a shitty decision. I don't know. James Burrell asks, militant vegan hairdresser versus liberal snowflake professor. Damn. I'm going to take the militant vegan. Um, cause you know, if they're a hairdresser, they got the, they got scissors and they can stab them in the eye or something like that. The liberal snowflake professor, they have nothing. They have nothing. All they have is their wisdom to go off of, which ain't going to help in a fight. James Burrell, if women's boxing really so shallow that you could be the quote after nine fights, she's not the quote, James. She's again in the discussion in the top 10 now, but there are at least, there are several fighters right now. Brekus, um, uh, Serrano, the other Serrano, there's two of them, but the, the better Serrano sister, they're better than her pound for pound right now. Katie Taylor might be, okay? So, and that's just right now. Lucia Riker, uh, there were plenty of other fighters before, female fighters who, uh, you just based on what we saw, probably better than Shields. Have we seen her best yet? We don't know. She's not the globe. But I understand why she brands herself that way. Some people find it off-putting, but other people out there are going to like it and enjoy it. So I think she, she's going to stick with it. Ken Hennig asks, historical question, why isn't Jimmy Bivens recognized as part of the murderer's row? He seems to meet the criteria. I got to look at that, bro. Off the top of my head, um, Jimmy Bivens. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old school. You're going way back. Okay. You know what? Let me look at that and get back to you because... Um, yeah, I don't know why. I don't know. Let me research that, dude. 
Jack Alter asks, if you were to guess Triple G's next opponents in his career in his next six fights, who do you think they'll be? Uh, dude, we can't, we can't go six fights out, but he's going to fight um, maybe Hassam Indam this summer. Maybe it's Canelo this fall. Maybe it's another. Maybe it's a top ten guy this fall, and then Canelo next year. They might delay the the third fight with Canelo to next spring. After the third fight with Canelo, I think he's going to go to super middleweight. By then, you know he's going to fight a Callum Smith or somebody like that for branding for money. It's he's going to try to low risk, work his way into big money fights, and a couple more big money fights, and then call it a day. October 4th asks, have you heard any updates on the Donna Stevenson situation? You know, dude, their family is very private. I know that he is having small little recoveries. I hear little things here and there, as you guys probably do. I know that um, he has spoken. Uh, he has, you know, he's moving around. He could get up and everything. But, yeah, he's never going to be a fully functional adult male again. It, it's awful. James Lopez asks, David Tua versus Wilder, who wins? I have Tua by seventh round KO. A fully in shape, motivated, prime, best version of Tua. Uh, I do think Tua tends to get overrated to a degree in some circles, but he would have a very good chance at beating Deontay Wilder. Absolutely. But height and length do matter. And if Deontay fought smart, disciplined, the way he fought in the first of earned bout, he could win a decision against Tua. Punch quote ask, uh, formerly HHH1200, ask, so Monroe, Wade, Gabe are great fighters. Triple G got gimmick resume like Wilder. Okay, obviously you're trolling. That's that's just a stupid quote. Sean Newton. What's up, Sean? Sean Newton boxing ask, get the fuck out of here. Ducking but chasing a pound-for-pound pound top guy in Canelo? I don't know what you're talking about. Who's ducking who? Uh, yeah, you're going to have to be more clear on that one, bro. Melvin Prez asks, how do you think the Inouye, do you, how do you, how do you think Inouye versus Neri is a good fight? Well, Inouye versus Neri would be a good fight if Inouye, Naoya Inouye the monster, wins the 118 tournament, World Boxing Super Series Season 2, and Lewis Neri keeps doing what he's doing. That's the best fight that could be made in that division. But a lot of things have to happen first before that happens. But that could be a, uh, a big little fight, as they call it, if everything lines up. Okay, guys, uh, preview and then some more questions. And then we're out of here. Uh, let's see. Saturday, April 20th. This Saturday, we got a few different fights. Let's start over in the, uh, in the UK, over at O2 Arena. It's a matchroom card on the zone here and Sky over there. In the main event, heavyweights. David Allen out of Yorkshire going up against Lucas Brown out of Australia. Is this a headlining fight? I don't know. Allen is 16-4-2. He was KO'd by Tony Yoka and Luis Ortiz. Brown is 28-1. Nice looking record. This is his fourth fight since being brutally KO'd by Dillian White in six rounds. Neither one of these guys is a top 10 heavyweight. But based upon styles and everything else, it's probably going to be bombs away and fun. So, hey, check it out. Am I going to watch that live? Nope. <laughs> uh, also on the card, uh, some 2016 Olympians, Joe Cordina, who's a lightweight who's 8-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-
six knockouts, and Josh Kelly, welterweight, also 8-0 and six knockouts. They're fighting, and Derek Chisora is on this undercard as well. So, Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, formerly known as StubHub Center, and before that, Home Depot Center. PBC on Fox, in the main event, Danny Garcia, returning from uh, his loss to Sean Porter last September. He's lost two of his last three, but they were against good fighters. You know, he lost to Keith Thurman and Sean Porter. No shame in that. Going up against Adrian Granados and all of his losses. He's had several losses, but they've been close. The only decisive loss was when he fought Sean Porter. So both of these guys have an opponent in common. Uh, I think a couple opponents in common, actually. But based upon styles, based upon where they're at in their career, and Garcia is not 100% invested in boxing. He's just coming to get his 2019 fight in so he can make some money. Uh, Granados, though, is still 100% invested, and he always fights tough. He is a very live dog in this fight, and do not be surprised if Granados, win, lose, or draw, is involved in another close controversial decision, and a lot of people out there feel could have went either way. That's what we're going to see. So I actually, this is probably the best fight of the weekend. It really is. Also on this card, Andy Ruiz. His third fight since losing uh, his only pro loss, the majority decision loss to Joseph Parker in 2016. Going up against Alexander Dimitrenko, who's making his comeback since uh, the KO loss to Brian Jennings last August. That's an interesting heavyweight matchup. As always with Andy Ruiz, it's just seeing if he's going to be a fat body or a pudgy body. Which one? Ricardo Espinosa Franco out of Mexico and John Rael Casimero out of the Philippines. Bantamweights. 12 rounds. And Brandon Figueroa, Omar's brother, 18-0, going up against Jan Fez Parejo out of Venezuela, 122 pounders, 12 rounds. That is a good, solid card on Fox. Good, solid card. Now, the pay-per-view. If this fight, if this card were on regular ESPN, I'd say it's the best card of the weekend. But it's on pay-per-view, and they're charging you guys $70. Madison Square Garden, top rank on ESPN pay-per-view. Terrence Crawford, 34-0, the second defense of his WBO welterweight title, going up against Amir Khan, who is 2-0 since being KO'd brutally by Canelo Alvarez in the sixth round of their fight back in 2016. Uh, for Crawford, who, again, is right up there with Lomachenko, pound-for-pound number one guy, we saw what Loma did, very entertaining. Crawford's got a kind of keep up with him, right? If he wants to be seen as the pound-for-pound guy, he's got to put in an equally impressive performance. Amir Khan is better than Anthony Crawler, but at this point of his career, is Amir Khan elite? I don't think so. So Crawford needs to dominate and stop him. Now, Crawford's a slow starter, and you know Canelo iced him with that big shot in the sixth round. Crawford doesn't have that kind of power, not at welterweight. So if, if, if Crawford can get a KO in the early rounds or mid rounds, I think that's really impressive. I think it's probably going to go into the later rounds, but at some point he's going to knock Khan out. If it goes the distance, that's going to be tough for Crawford. That's uh, <clears throat> a lot of people are going to look at that and think, man, you, you should have stopped this dude. So Crawford, I mentioned, needs to kind of keep up with Lomachenko, keep pace with him, right? And then after this fight, he needs to call out Errol Spence. 
But does he really give a shit? That's what I, I, I struggle with with Terrence Crawford. Does he care if anyone sees him as pound for pound? Does he care about getting the best fights and fighting Errol Spence and those kind of guys? Or does he just want to show up, punch his clock, fight, punch out, collect his check, go home to his family? No problem with that if that's what he wants, but it's going to limit him. He's never going to be a huge crossover star. He has the talent to be. He has the right promoter to be, but he just doesn't have the personality. And I don't know if he cares enough about keeping pace with Lomachenko and Usyk and Canelo and, and those guys and calling out Errol Spence and Keith Thurman. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But if I were a boxing fan, not media, but just a guy watching at home, uh, would I pay $70 for this? No. So guys, if your team stream on this one, I get it. You're getting free boxing on, if you pay for zone. well, you've already paid for your year, right? Or your month or whatever it is. So that card isn't very good. You're not watching that live. You can go back and watch it later. But on Fox, you're getting a pretty solid card for free. That's where you should probably go first. Also on this card, Shakur Stevenson, Teofimo Lopez, and Felix Verdejo. If Lopez wins, Verdejo wins, they're both lightweights. If you don't do Lopez versus Come later in the year, and instead it's Lomachenko versus Come, why not Lopez and Verdejo? Why not? That's what needs to happen. Okay, some more questions, and then we add here. I am losing my voice. Oh, man, I need a co-host so I don't have to talk as much. Let's see. Uh, where are we at, my questions? Okay, Carlos Valdez asks, who do you think Canelo has? Do you think Canelo has what it takes to unify the division before the end of this year? Um, you would mean fighting Demetrius Andrade. Um, I don't think he's going to fight Demetrius Andrade this year. It's possible, but... I think if the Golovkin, the third fight with Golovkin doesn't happen this year, they'll probably fight Derevyanchenko. It's just as marketable as a fight with Demetrius Andrade is. It's an easier fight, and it's a mandatory. And they'd use that to build up Golovkin. Golovkin can fight in the co-main or a week or two around it because Golovkin wouldn't do the co-main. And that's how they do it. And maybe Golovkin fights Andrade. Who the hell knows? James Lopez asks, can Jarrell Big Baby Miller stop Anthony Joshua? Does he have the power and chin? We simply don't know because he hasn't fought anybody. We don't know. As far as power, he doesn't have one-punch KO power. I don't think Joshua is going to be worried about anything coming at him from Miller. But if Miller has the chin and the craft and skill to take Joshua's power and tire him down late – Maybe things could get interesting. But does he have the power to stop Joshua? I don't think so. Although, man, that'd be one hell of an upset. October 4th asked, do you ever get a, did you ever get a rematch with the first guy you sparred? If not, do you think you could compete with him now? Never did. But he's, he'd still, he's still just a better fighter than me uh, just because of his experience level. And this guy's fought in tournaments all over the country. You know, he's sparred a lot of pros. He's just a better, bigger, stronger fighter than me. But could I compete with him now? Yes. And for the record, and I don't know if I mentioned this last week, I did get some shots in. 
I remember I popped him with a good left uppercut and I did get a, a couple of good jabs in there. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty much it. Everything else was him. Now, if we sparred, you know, we're both older and everything, um, I'd probably catch a lot of his stuff. Catch, I just played a catch and shoot game with him, pot shot him a little bit, and I'd be competitive. But if we sparred 10 rounds, he'd win seven of them. You know, that, that's just how it is. John Uden asks, can Dog Bay make adjustments to beat Navarrete in a rematch? It seems like a bad matchup for Dog Bay. I think so. I think it's just a bad matchup for him. And um, styles make fights. And that, that just that physical matchup, all wrong for him. And I think he's going to lose in that rematch. All right. Do we have any more questions? Any more? No? Why is Tiffany so awesome? Why is Tiffany so awesome? Because she's awesome. I just, you know, I mean, it's the truth, though. Uh, okay, there's one last question. Okay, one last question. Tiffany, read it out. Say it loud so they can hear you on Devin the mic. Devin Cruz. Devin Cruz. I can't read anymore. Are there any good examples in recent times of close fights going against the establishment fighter? Yeah. One that I mentioned earlier, when Harrison got the decision over Charlo. Charlo was the A-side, the establishment fighter, and... I was very surprised to see Harrison get that decision. And in my opinion, Hogan did basically the same type of strategy and game plan to uh, Jaime Munguia and didn't get the nod. And it's that kind of inconsistency with judging that drives me nuts. And Waleska Roldan, who had a horrible scorecard for the uh, Pacquiao Horn fight, was working this fight and just travels all over the world. I think that judge is out of New York, but judges all over the world um, I, I just, I don't get it. Those sorts of scorecards should stop you from scoring any more big fights. And this wasn't a big mega fight or anything, but it was technically a championship fight. So yeah, there's one recent example right there. Where's, right, no, one, more. one more, okay. Because this one's from New Zealand. Okay, one more from New Zealand. Marcos Simon said. Marcos Simon, okay. I think Joseph Parker would have a good chance. Um, I just wonder where Joseph Parker is at mentally right now. Since, you know, he's had a couple of losses now. Um, he did take some punishment in the Anthony Joshua fight. I think Joshua Parker is underrated by a lot of people. I think he does have some defensive craft to him and some good natural fighter instincts. He seems to lack that hunger and passion, though. And that's one thing Wilder definitely has. He fights with a lot of passion. And I think that would hurt Parker against Wilder. But he'd absolutely have a good chance in that fight. And all things considered, he'd be the third best opponent that Wilder's ever fought. You know, So, so I'd give him a chance. I'd favor Wilder. As far as who, who else could beat Wilder, um, a lot of people think Fury did. If Fury wouldn't have got lazy and dropped twice in their fight, Fury would have beat Wilder, you know? I thought he won more rounds. He just got knocked down twice, and that's what caused the draw. I was okay, okay with the draw, for the record. And then um, Anth I'd, I'd favor Anthony Joshua to beat Deontay Wilder. I just would. If Vladimir Klitschko came back right now and he was the same shape, the same version of Vlad that almost beat Anthony Joshua a couple years ago, I think he could beat. Deontay Wilder. Right now, at this advanced age, um, I still think he'd have a really good chance. So, yeah, Wilder's very flawed, 
But that right hand that ices dudes, that's going to bail him out a lot of times. All right, guys. Uh, that's it for this week, man. My throat is sore. Uh, man, an hour and a half. That's what we do for you guys. <clears throat> Remember your homework. TNC 167 is in the books.